invite you to take your scriptures and turn back to the Genesis 18 passage. Robert Bork was nominated to the Supreme Court by Ronald Reagan. His nomination would eventually be rejected. But he wrote a book in 1996, and the title was Slouching Toward Gomorrah. If you read the book, he writes from a social and political vantage. And in his book, in chapter 17, he has an interesting title for that chapter, and it is in the form of a question, and he asks, Can America Avoid Gomorrah? I'm going to read you an excerpt from it, but remind yourself this. He wrote this 20, almost 27 years ago. Analysis demonstrates that we continue slouching towards Gomorrah. We are well along the road to the moral chaos that is at the end of radical individualism. And the tyranny that is the goal of radical egalitarianism Modern liberals have corrupted our culture across the board. The imperative question is whether there is any possibility of avoiding the condition of Gomorrah. What can halt or reverse the march of modern liberalism? What can keep us from reaching a servile condition punctuated by spasms of violence and eroticism? The answer, listen, if there is an answer, is an issue of the will, he writes. A paragraph later, he finishes by saying, we must then take seriously the possibility that perhaps nothing will be done to reverse the direction of our culture and the degeneracy we see about us will only become worse. Prophetic words, no? It would be pretty accurate to think and say that we are far further along the road to moral chaos than when he wrote those words. And if back then our culture had been corrupted, as he would say, across the board, surely now that cultural corruption has saturated almost every facet upon every level of our society. And no longer, I think Bork would agree, if he was still alive, is it a spasm but is more of a seizure. The question Bork asked 27 years ago is more imperative than it has ever been in America. Is there any possibility of avoiding the condition of Gomorrah? The answer, he says, if there is an answer, is the answer of the will. And this is where Robert Bork and I depart. I do not believe that the answer, if there is one, is, the, is of an issue of man's will. It is an issue of God's will. See, it's not what we need. It's not more liberals choosing to become more conservative. And what Abraham's going to show us today is what America needs is more saved people choosing to obey God's will so that more lost people will see the difference that it makes in a life. See, let me tell you today in one sentence what I want you to leave here with. 
And I want you to think on it deeply this morning as we begin a new year. And that is this, there is no impact on Sodom when there is no contact with God. Let me say it again, there is no impact on Sodom when there is no contact with God. Let me say it another way. See, our contact with heaven will determine our impact on earth. And that's where prayer comes in. And you're going to see it in Abraham's life. And the truth is demonstrated truthfully in this text by a contrast, a glaring, clear contrast between the life of Abraham and the life of his nephew, Lot. Now that contrast begins way back a few chapters earlier than our text in chapter 13. There is a strife because Lot and Abraham are both very rich. They have lots of livestock and their possessions are so great that they can't even stay in the same general area anymore because their flocks overlap and their herdsmen are getting upset. And so they come together, Lot and Abraham, and they make a choice. They are going to separate from one another. And if you would just briefly with me turn there, because I think it's worth doing so. A few chapters earlier, look at chapter 13 of Genesis in verses 10 and 11. And then in contrast to that, look at verse 14. And I want to draw your attention to it and actually have you turn there today because it is the beginning of a contrast that will mark their lives for the rest of their lives. And in doing so, I would like you this morning to think this. Which one of these men am I most like? Which one of these families is more like my family? The Bible says in Genesis 13, verses 10 and 11, that Lot lifted up his eyes. Please underline, if you do that in your Bible, put this phrase in the back of your mind. Lot lifted up his eyes, and in verse 11 it says, he chose for himself. That is who Lot is. He is given, although Abraham is the one that God has blessed, and he is the head of the family, Abraham and his humility says, Lot, even though I should choose first, I'm going to let you choose first. And here's what Lot does. He looks out over the plains of Jordan, and it was well watered, just like it was in the Garden of Eden. And so he chooses it. He doesn't consult God. He doesn't talk with God. Lot makes a choice absent from God. And he is going to pay dividends for that. In contrast, in verse 14, it says this, And God told Abraham, lift up your eyes. Same phrase. Lot's without God. Abraham's with God, because God was going to direct Abraham's life, and Abraham wanted God to choose for him. You can choose for yourself, or you can let God choose for you. See, that's the contrast. That's what our lives, that's what prayer is all about. So Abraham, from that decision on out, his direction is moving toward God, That's what we see all the way up to our text in chapter 18. Lot makes a choice for himself, and now we find him all the way up to our chapter, not moving toward God like Abraham, but moving toward Sodom. Chapter 18 and 19, which leads us up to our text. There are angels who come, 
And they come to visit both Abraham and Lot. Again, the contrast continues. The angels come to Abraham and they come to announce life. Finally, Sarah is going to have a baby. And although she laughs, God is honored in their lives. And he gives them life. He gives them a baby. The same angels come to see Lot. And they do not bring a message of life. They bring a message of death. Death by destruction. Death by fire and brimstone. You could not get a more stark contrast than the choices and the lives of these two men. So I have to ask you this morning, what about your life? What about your contact with God in 2022? And what about the resulting impact? Was there any? What will it be for you and for your family as we enter 2023? Because here's the principle, isn't it? No contact, no impact. What does your prayer life, what is your life before God communicate who you are and what your family is all about? So let's take this morning and do just two things. We're going to contrast Abraham's contact with God and its impact with Lot's contact and its impact. Let's take them one at a time. The section that we looked at, if you look in your Bibles with me in Genesis, it has a bookend. In other words, it frames out this section. And the little phrase in chapter 18 and verse 22 that begins our section is the same phrase that ends this whole story about Lot and his family all the way over in chapter 19 and verse 27. If you look at those two verses and compare them, here's what you'll see that the same phrase is in both. And Abraham stood before the Lord. That is a Hebrew way of saying he prayed. He stood before the Lord in 22 of 18 and 1927, when the story is over, see, he begins the story in God's presence. He ends the story in God's presence. And you know why? Because that's how Abraham lived his life. He lived all of his life before the Lord. And if you trace his life throughout all the scriptures in Genesis, you'll find that every single place that Abraham went, he was always building an altar. He was always saying, hey, here's where I am, and here's what I'm doing in my life, and God, I want you purposely to be the center of it. And so he builds an altar to worship God because it was the most important thing in his life. The only time, listen, the only time in all of Scripture that there is a divine soliloquy where God talks basically to himself and he communicates to us in the Bible what he is thinking. The only time is in Genesis 18, 17 through 19 when he's talking about destroying Sodom and Gomorrah and he says this, I can't hide what I'm going to do from Abraham. The only time God thinks out loud and we know what's in his heart is when he's talking about Abraham. You know why? Because they were close. They had contact. There was communication. Can I say it this way? They were friends. Second Chronicles in the Old Testament, James twice in the New Testament, describes Abraham and his relationship and contact with God in this way. He was the friend of God. What is a friend? Well, don't think of it as a buddy, a chum. So there's some of that going on, obviously, but way different because with God, friendship is a revelatory term. 
Jesus says on the night that he would be betrayed, in the Gospel of John chapter 15, verses 14 and 15, he looks to his disciples and he says to them, I no longer call you servants, but I will call you friends. And he tells us what he means. Because a servant, the master doesn't tell him what he is doing They don't have that closeness. There's no contact. There's no relationship where the master tells the slave what his plans are. But he says, but I've called you friends because I have told you everything my father plans to do. You see, Jesus tells us, you know what friends are to him in the Bible? They are people that he talks to, people that he communicates with, people that he lets them know what his will is because he knows that they will do it. You see, Abraham had that kind of contact with God. And God goes on to say in our text, in Genesis 18, he says, and the reason why I chose him is because Abraham will teach his children, and in verse 19 he says, to keep the way of the Lord. The very next verse is talking about how God is going to go to Sodom and destroy it. That Communication prompts Abraham's prayer. But can I tell you, listen, Abraham has contact with God and you know what it results in his life? He lives differently. He lives God's presence. He teaches his children in his home the way they conduct themselves, the way they live, what their values, their priorities are, their morals, how they think about life and see everyone and everything in it. He says, because Abraham will keep my way in contrast to the way of the surrounding culture about him, namely, i.e., Sodom. See, here's what I know about Abraham, because we have contact. You know what Abraham is like? He is going to live differently. He's not going to live like Sodom, nor teach his children, and that's okay. He is going to live differently. And I would be here to tell you this morning this truth, that Abraham's private prayer life before God was because he had a public life of devotion to God. And some of us wondered this morning, why don't I pray, Pastor Walker? Why isn't God impacting? Why don't I see answers? I hear people talk about it. I see God doing this in their life. Can I tell you this? We have to put together our private and our public lives. We cannot live our own way and we cannot make our own choices like Lot. We cannot just say minimum contact and expect God to use us in great impactful ways. See, your prayer life is a reflection of your daily life. You cannot expect to say, God, I love you on your knees and I love Sodom off your knees. It doesn't work like that. Well, what do you mean, Pastor Walker? In chapter 18 and verse 23, if you look there, it says that Abraham drew near. Contact. The little phrase in Hebrew, drew near, is the same phrase that's used in Exodus 20 when it says, Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. You see, because Moses lived before the Lord and his presence in his regular life, on a daily life, it was nothing for him to get on his knees in prayer. It was his relationship with God. He always had contact with God. And so he's able to get on his knees and he'll know that God will hear him. You see, contact off his knees and on his knees were one for him. 
right? How many of you have an iPhone? Yes, you are God's people. How many of you don't have an iPhone? See, there's one thing we can pray for right off the bat. But you know on your phone, right, you have contacts, right? It's all the people in your life. Now, a lot of them are just business contacts or things you need to call to get things done. But a lot of your contacts are made up of what? Friends, family, people that you know, people that you love, people that you have. See, there, in your contacts, there are just contacts and there are close contacts. But the ones, right? What is the category that the iPhone uses to describe the people that you most often call and people that would be closest to you? Yes, favorites. If Abraham had an iPhone, God would have been his number one favorite. You know why? Because that's how he lived his life. Abraham lived the way he prayed and prayed the way he lived. Pastor Walker, what would that look like in my prayer life? Two things. Number one, if you have God on your favorites at the top, if you have contact with God and that's what your life is like, this is what your prayers will look like. Two things. You will constantly remember who you are when you pray. You look at the text in 1822 and following. Abraham is having an unusual prayer and talk with God. It would probably not be like anything you and I have done much of. Maybe we should more. It's almost like he's begging or bartering with God. But he, he talks with him, and along the way, he uses language like, oh God, don't be angry with me. And one time he says, oh Lord, just remember, I am but dust and ashes. And God, let me just say this one more time, because you know he's arguing him down. He's arguing with God, 50, 45, 40, and then he's taking a bigger, 30, 20, 10. Because he's asking God to be the judge of all the earth and don't destroy the righteous with the wicked. And so he goes after, and by the way, in our prayers, so often, so short, we talk about so many things. Little grocery list of things that we go through in our minds little things that we might have on a list. But you know, he spends this entire prayer with God talking about one thing. Have you ever done that? Have you ever had a prayer that lasted quite a while and it was only about one thing? Not God, hey, God, please help this and God, please heal her and God, please would you provide this and you move on and on and there's like 20 things that you cover in three minutes. That's not how Abraham prayers prays. You know why? Because we don't talk to people like that. Imagine having a conversation. Honey, hey, it's great to see you. I'm glad to see you this morning. Can you do this, this, and this? And, God, and can you do this when you're... No one talks like that to anybody. But Abram says, you know what? I have a rela- Here's my contact with God. I'm praying, and I want to talk to you about one thing that's on my heart and mind. And he sees himself as unworthy. There is a literary term called meiosis. And meiosis is belittling yourself to be, in order to show the majesty of someone else. And that's what he does in his prayer. He doesn't just rush in and say, hey, God, I got some things. Listen, there's some people in here, and I want you to save them and nuke everybody else. That's not what he does. 
He takes the time to say, hey, I'm going to go through an argument, God, because I want to convince you, based on your character, that you should do this. And you know what he does it? He says, God, I want you to, I want, he says this, will you do this, God? Will you do this? See, he doesn't make statements, God, do this. He says, God, would you? Would you do it? You know why? Because he has a deep, deep sense of his unworthiness. Do you do that? When you go to prayer, do you come to God? Do you rush in or do you stop and say, God, I know, I know I'm not worthy for you to hear my prayers. I know that this is who I am. I know that this is what, but God, would you listen to me? Would you hear me? See, that's how he approaches God. It's an unusual thing. He's humble and confident at the same time. He is tentative, but at the same time, he's assertive. You know why? Because he senses who he is. He never forgets who he is. Unlike Lot, who completely, and I'll show you in a minute, forgets who he is. So here's what we do when we know that we have contact with God. We will not forget, we will remember who we are when we pray. And secondly, we'll remember who he is. Not just who we are, but who he is. Listen, I think you should read the prayer and prayers of the Bible and you have to come away with this. You should have a deep theology because it it is manifested in your understanding of who God is. We need to pray. When we pray, we need to argue based on who God is. And look at Abraham's prayer. God, you are judge of all the earth. God, you are the one who always does righteousness. And then he says to him, God, you can't do this. He says, far be it from you. He's, you can't do that, God, because this is who you are. I know you. See, I've got contact with you. I have revelation about you. I know who you are. Therefore, you can't do that. You ever talk to someone? I have recently, and recent, I talk to God all the time, and I say, God, I know that you want to save people, but I also know that you're a holy God. But you are a God who wants to reveal all of your attributes. So God, not just your holiness, but your mercy and kindness and grace and love. So could today be the day that so-and-so gets saved? Would today be the day that you reach down in your kindness and draw them to yourself? You know what? Argue with God. Argue with him based on who he is. Not what you want, but who he is. So he calls him at the beginning and the end of this section... Lord, L-O-R-D, all capitals, covenant God. God, you keep your word, keep your promises. But in between that, listen, in between that, he uses L-O-R-D with only one capital, the beginning one. The first one is Yahweh. The second one is Adonai. And you know what Abraham knows that we miss? That God is transcendent, way beyond my imagination. The covenant-keeping God has always been but he's also Adonai. He is the God that is imminent and up close. The God that hears your prayers, knows your pain and your sorrow. See, he knows God. He has contact with him. And so he comes into this world, into his prayer life with God because that's how he lives out those things in his own life. God is not only holy, but he is loving He is not only sinless, but he is merciful. He is all of those things. So let me tell you what that looks like. Have you ever read this text and said, hey, he went from 50 
45, 40, 30, 10, 20, 10. Why did he stop at 10? Why didn't he go down to five? Because in the end, it would have been way better. I mean, if he didn't go down, why didn't he go down to one? One. You know why? I think I know why. Because he knew who God was. I think he knew who God was. And you know what he knows about God? God, listen, God expects his people to be righteous because they have contact with him and have an impact in their culture. God expects that. So you got Lot, his wife, two daughters, two sons-in-laws, right? So I don't know if I did that right. But he's only a few away from 10. And you know what God expects? That Lot would have impact. He's lived there for a while. His family is there. But they don't. So Abraham stops at 10 thinking, surely he's impacted at least a couple of people that he has had contact with. And so he stops there. And see, even his praying is informed by his understanding of who God is. See, listen, that's who we ought to be. See, Abraham, he has impact because he has contact. Now, Abraham's prayer did not stop the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. It did deliver Lot and his family. It's not that we have impact and change everything, but God uses prayer to change some things. And he does that impact because we have contact. That's Abraham. But in complete contrast to that, let me close by showing you Lot. In chapter 19 and verses 1 through 29, which we did not read, let me refer to them. Lot has, in contrast to Abraham, for the most part, he has minimized his contact with God. Let me modernize that 21st century. It means this. He has come on Sunday mornings, but that's about it. He reads his Bible occasionally, but that's about it. He really prays to God mostly when there is a crisis or an emergency or he can't figure out how to solve his problems on his own. That's what he has become. Lot is no longer sitting in the door of his tent like Lot Abraham was in 18.1 of Genesis. Where do we find him in Genesis 19.1? Lot is sitting at the gate of the city of Sodom. Do you know what that means? Hear me. When you sit at the gate, you have become an elder, a leader, and even a judge in that community. He has become a citizen of Sodom. He has become a leader there. He has become someone that, quote-unquote, people go to. He has become integrated. He has become like the people of Sodom. And the key word that God uses to describe this is where Lot lived. And in 1412, it says he dwelled in Sodom, chapter 19 and verse 1, sitting in the gate of Sodom. How did he get there? It all started back with the first choice he made, I told in Genesis 13. He decided he wanted to have this place and live here. Why? Because it was best for business. Lot believed he could have maximum impact with minimum contact. He believed that he could be far from Abraham, but near to God. 
He was convinced, hear me, like some of us, he was convinced that he and his family could live in Sodom without letting Sodom live in him and his family. Hear me, he was dead wrong. Read the Lot, Lot's life. No record of him ever building an altar. There is no record of a long standing before God that he ever prayed. He had no contact. And look what it does to his life. Hospitality being one of the biggest things that Jewish people upheld vehemently. He shows the people come to his, the angels come and he welcomes them into his house or tries to get them to come in their house. Don't say in the public square because our whole place is filled with homosexual violence and all kinds of awful sexual deviancy. So he knows that. And so he invites the angels in because that's what you do. It's hospitality. It is crucial in their culture. But when the men start of the town, young and old, it says, beating on his door, he opens the door and he's given hospitality and you're supposed to protect your, your strangers and the people with you and your family. And you know what he does? He does the hospitality part, but he offers his two virgin daughters to the men so that they, they can do whatever they want to them in order to save the angels. Lot has become twisted. Twisted in his thinking where he thinks he's doing hospitality, I'm doing the right thing, but he goes about it the wrong way. See, he is slouching toward Sodom. He has allowed his daughters, virgin daughters, to be married, which means they were betrothed. It means in Jewish culture, you don't live together or have sexual relationships until after you're married. And so here's what he's done. He has lived in Sodom. He's become a leader in Sodom. His thinking has become twisted, and he has allowed his daughters to marry guys from Sodom who don't know God. Can I tell you this kindly? When you make decisions to go away from God and put other priorities before him, it will not stay a financial issue. It will bleed over into everything in your life that you think that you can protect, including your family. He gives his daughters up. He says to the homosexual crowd outside his door, Chapter 19 and verse 7, he says, I beg you, do not so wickedly, listen, my brothers, can you imagine people who were so perverse and abomination to God and what they were doing? He says, my brothers, slouching toward Sodom. The whole scene, the whole scene, if you read it in entirety, is about this picture what is going on inside Lot's house versus what's going on outside Lot's house. And listen, he would have never got back into his house. He would have been himself because they said they're going to do worse to him. You think you're our judge. You think that we really accept you here. You're still a foreigner to us. Get out of our way. And he thinks that if he could just stay inside of his house, that he'll be safe. And what he doesn't know is although the angels interact intervene supernaturally, it's too late. Because although the men didn't get in his house that night, they had got in his house a long time ago. They'd already gone through his doors spiritually. See, here's what he's done. Listen, because this is what so many of our young people want to do today. He has done everything he can to be accepted by Sodom he has made it his identity. He has fought for it. 
and he thinks that that is where acceptance is found. And that is where praise and satisfaction can be found. Only to know and find out this, that those very people that they made compromises for now reject them. They reject him and the life that he's built and the influence he thought he had and his family, he is despised by them. You know why? Because Lot forgot who he was. He has no contact prayer and has no impact. It says the angels do this. They blind all the men outside who are trying to break in so they can't see where they're going and the question the text to me asks is, who's really the blind people? Is it ones outside the house, or is it really the ones inside the house? The Bible says he tries to tell his sons-in-laws, listen, God is going to bring destruction. He's going to wipe out this whole thing. And in verse number 10, I mean, in verse number 14, it says, and to them, he seemed like he was joking. It's a word that's used of mocking laughter. It's the same root word used of Sarah when God said when she was 90, she would have a baby. And when she's off by herself and no one's looking, it says she laughed. It's not just a laugh, ha, ha, ha. It's a mocking laugh, like that's impossible. That's what his own son-in-laws thought. Their future dad, father-in-law, is telling them to get out and his warning is meaningless. You know why? He lost his contact with God and his impact went with it. See, Lot can't get his family out of Sodom because he can't get Sodom out of his family. He left God out and he let Sodom in. And it was the formula for destruction. Truthfully, God is right. There should have been 10 righteous people. But how could there be? Because Lot was like them. See, we cannot as a church, we cannot as a church have an impact on Hamilton and Trenton and the society around us if we are like them, if we share their morals, if we share their values. It is not because we are superior. It is because God has chosen us by his grace. Lot, listen, he lost everything. You see, you think it's going to be hard. If I make God the center of my life in 2023, if I really seek his face, if he's really everything to me, I'm going to lose a lot of things, Pastor Walker. I won't be popular. Can I tell you, it'll be nothing compared to what you lose if you don't. Oh, see, Lot lost the majority of his family. His wife, he lost her because she wouldn't even follow her husband because she turned back a pillar of salt. His two daughters became incestuous with him and got him drunk. And it wasn't 10 righteous people that would, it wasn't even eight, it wasn't six. It was only four that got out and really only one of them was righteous. And the only way we would know that Lot was righteous is 2 Peter 2.9 says, and the Lord knows how to deliver the righteous out of testing. And it mentions Lot by name. Otherwise, we wouldn't even know that he was. Dads, where do you stand? See, Abraham stood before the Lord publicly and privately, and he taught his children, and they followed him and his example. They weren't perfect like he wasn't perfect, but they followed him. Do your kids do that? 
Do your kids know what is right and wrong? Do they know what's going on in our world? Do they know and do they see that in my dad's life, God is the center. He's everything. Do they see you and understand that you spend time on your knees? Dads, where do you stand? Do they see you standing before him or before the world? Moms, Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. Moms, are you a woman who looks up or looks back? Are you looking up to God to raise your children, to teach them what is priority and what is right? Is it education or is it sports that take place? Are you teaching them to love everything the world offers? Are you telling them, no, look up, don't look back. Don't look on what you think you might be missing out on and what the world offers. Look up and see him and who he is. Young people, adults, young adults, teenagers, let me say, are you living your life so that you can work hard to find your identity in Sodom? Can I tell you this ahead of time and give you warning because that's what this story on the New Testament is. Can I tell you this? They will reject you. Ultimately, you will not find what you're looking for there. And some of us today, it doesn't matter who you are, what your age would be. See, there are some of us who would say, Pastor Walker in 2023, I want to get my impact back. I want to make my life count for something for God. I want to influence people for the kingdom. See, to get your impact back, you have to get your contact back. And it starts with prayer. It starts with seeking God. It starts with saying Praying for Sodom, that's what Abraham, it starts with praying for your school instead of being like everyone in it. It starts praying for your neighbor instead of living out the way that they do in the American dream. It starts by reaching your family because they know that you're different and Jesus is most important. That's where it starts. We've got to get the contact back. So this morning, we're going to sing a song as we conclude. And maybe this morning would be this, a silent invitation where you come forward or you can stay at your... Your pew. Maybe you want to come forward in your own mind and kneel here and say, Father, as a father, you want to say to God, I want to get my children back. I want to get my marriage back. God, I'm asking for mercy to get Sodom out of my family and out of my house and my heart. God, I want to come today and I want to stand before you today. I want to take steps. I want to take steps, God, to get the impact back in my marriage, in my family, and in my society, in our culture. But I know it first starts with you, to getting back to you. Can't say, God, I want to be a man, a woman, a young adult, a teenager of prayer. Because there is no impact without contact. Let's pray. To begin this year, I wanted to startle you. I wanted to move you by the grace and spirit of God to take serious consideration and thought about where you are, where your family is. See, Lot thought that that was just a simple decision to move towards Sodom. He never saw all that was coming. Did you hear the warning today for you, for your wife, your children, your family? Do you hear what he's saying? Will God choose for you or will you choose for you? 
Perhaps you're here this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed and you don't know the Lord. You don't know him. Jesus said there'll be more patience with, from God with Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than it would be for Capernaum. And you know what the difference was? Because they saw Jesus and heard his words and saw the miracles he did and rejected him. Perhaps you're here this morning and Jesus brought you here so you could hear his words. Please don't reject him. Come, heed the warning. Give your life to him. He gave his life for you. If you're a Christian this morning, maybe you need to come at the front and pray. No one's going to know or no one's going to ask you exactly what it is that you're there for. Other than this, it's time to get the contact back. Father, remember that we are but dust and ashes. But you are a pardoning God, a gracious God. You may not bring back all the years that the locusts have eaten, but you, O God, are the God of new beginnings. And I pray that you would so work through your word, by your spirit, in people's hearts. Move us. May we not slouch towards Sodom any longer. Turn us around because we look to you. In Jesus' name, amen.